Amen. Well, this morning, I'm actually going to just get right into it. I'm not going to give you a little intro or anything like that because we're, we're going all in, all right? Because this is called The Bold, right? This is The Bold that I've called this. And last week, we started this series, and, and I said this statement, God gives ordinary people extraordinary boldness. Ordinary people. And we, we looked at the fact that, that you can have boldness. You can have boldness. Actually, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage or boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, we see the early church and and the church that Jesus started, and, and these people were bold. I mean, they were literally being sat down. They could be killed for the things that they were saying, and yet they were still bold enough to stand up. And this surprised everybody because they go, whoa, those are ordinary people. How, how, are they, how do they do this? I mean, there, there's signs and wonders and people being healed and, and God doing miraculous things. And so we see that when they left here, they actually went back. They, were said, they said, don't, don't do that anymore. And yet they go back and they begin to pray. And they all pray together. And you know what they prayed for? More boldness. They prayed for even more boldness. And so there was this, this power. But I want you if, you, didn't, if you weren't here last week and didn't get a chance to write down, this is the definition I want to give you for boldness that God really imparted into my heart. Boldness is living the life God calls you to live in the face of adversity without compromise. Living the life God calls you to live in the face of adversity without compromise. See, we, we would look back at the early church and we would think that, man, that's radical. That's radical boldness. But that was normal for them. They flipped the world upside down. This was normal Christianity for them. And so when I talk about the bold, I'm talking about the people of God standing up and being the people that we've been called to be. And so I started with, I love alliteration, so it's four Ps here. I'll give it right, right ahead of the gate here. Last week, we talked about prayer. We talked about how we can be bold in our prayer life. See, James 5.16 said the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I don't mean now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord in my soul to keep. You don't have to do that prayer every night because you're saved. God, God has saved you if you have put your faith in Jesus. What I mean is praying bold prayers because the next part said Elijah was a man like you and me. And that's where we said, what? That's crazy because he called down fire from heaven. He raised somebody from the dead. He told the rains to stop for three and a half years. And yet the, James is comparing him to me, Chris Merrill, and you. And so that, that is extremely bold. See, bold prayers honor God, and, and God honor, uh, honors bold prayers. God honors bold prayers. So we pray God's promises, we pray earnestly, and we pray believing. And then the second P that I said was posture. See, the people of God, they posture themselves. And we looked at the fact that you stand firm, right? Constantly in Scripture, it talks about standing firm. Stand your ground. I talked about tucking your shirt in, right? And going after what God has called you to and being able to stand that ground when the enemy comes against you and when things get difficult to stand firm. It's a spiritual alignment toward God in a position of readiness. But I did say that God will call us to stand against some challenging things in life. Now, I can talk about all this boldness all day long, but let me be honest with you. I'm sure that you have been through something. If you're alive and you're breathing, you've been through something, right? This is how it is. But see, God will call us to stand against some challenging things in life. And I made this statement, and I want you to hear this. Faith isn't easy. 
That's why it's called faith. Faith is simple. See, it's simple because it's simply saying yes. It's either yes or no. See, a bold church is the church Jesus started. A bold church prays bold prayers and postures themselves to say yes to God. And so we're on to the third P. Now this, I, I save these two for this week because, okay, I can pray some bold prayers. I get it. You know, like, Chris, that, that's good. Posture yourselves. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I can, I can ready myself. But here's the third one. Possess. Possess. See, we could pray all day long and we can stand our ground, but, but God has called us to possess some territory. See, we can possess God's promises, and that's what it says in God's word. See, the bold take possession of God's promises. The early church, they not only prayed and readied themselves, you know what? They still went out. They still went out and they possessed some territory. See, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know what that says? He's still moving. There's still an offensive strategy to this faith. An offensive strategy. I mean, posturing yourselves. That's like, like, you know, I can take on the defenses, but... But possessing something is actually moving forward. It's actually moving forward. You see, Ephesians says that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have every one of them. We have promises from God. They're promises that are for you and me. And so today I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. See, I alluded to him last week and I talked about the fact that God told him to be strong and courageous and to ready himself for what God had. So he had the posture, right? They were praying some bold prayers. And Joshua, you have to know, was he was Moses' right-hand man. He, he, was, he was the guy who, when Moses would say, do something, he would go and do it. And when Moses was in the tent meeting with the Lord, you know what Joshua would do? He would, he would stick around a little bit longer. He'd be like, I, I, want, I want that too. I want that too. And so if we see in chapter 1, verse 2 of the book of Joshua... Chapter 1, verse 2 starts like this. Moses, my servant, is dead. Downer, right? (laughs) Moses, my servant, is dead, right? And and surprisingly, Moses, God took Moses up on this mountain and he showed him all the promises. He says, see, look at all these promises. Aren't they amazing? But you're not going to get to step foot in them. That's one of the saddest parts to me in Scripture is that Moses... Moses didn't get to to see the promises that he led all these people to. And it's because they were disobedient. It's because they, they weren't listening to the Lord. So Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Listen to this, verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. What that tells me? If you want to possess some territory, you're going to have to take a step. You're going to have to take a step of faith. Sometimes you look and you see people who have done these incredible things. And man, you know, Patrick and Alicia, they gave all that and, and God will bless them. I promise you, God will bless that family. And, and I see that God can do what only he can do. And you think to yourself, how'd they do that? They took a step of faith. And then they took another step of faith. And then they took another step of faith, and and that's what we see in the bold. Those are the people that are willing to stand out and to take the territory that God has promised them. See, the size of your steps of faith dictate the territory of promises you possess. Say that again. The size of your steps of faith dictate the territory of promises you possess. 
You see, they were promised the whole land. They didn't take it all. They were promised the whole land, but they didn't take it all. And I feel like that's how it is in our spiritual lives sometimes, right? You know, you hear about God's promises and, and God can do these amazing things and he, he has all of the, every spiritual blessing he has available to us. And, and yet sometimes we stop and we don't possess and, and take the territory of what God has given us. And I feel like we can get that way sometimes in our faith. See what ends up happening, and we're, we're going to flip over. In, in chapter uh, 3, they actually do cross the Jordan. You know, he says, be strong and courageous and, and lead the people. And here's, here's what happens. They do cross the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is at flood stage. I mean, it's not like dipping your, your toes in your pool, right? And, and have, I mean, it's, it's flood stage, okay? It is cranking. And so he has the priests going first with the ark. They step foot in, a step of faith, territory where you put your feet. They step in, and as they step into the waters, it says that it backed up a great distance away and that there was dry ground. And so the priests, they carry the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, and they, they carry it to the center. And so they're in the center, and they stop on dry ground, and they let all the rest of the Israelites begin to come through. I mean, this is a miracle. This is incredible what God is doing. And so it's coming through that area, and then they, they move in to the other side and then God says something. I, I want, Joshua says, go in, pick up 12 stones, representing the tribes of Israel, and bring them to the other side and set up a memorial so that you will know what God has done today. That you will know what God has done and your children's children will know what God has done. And so they do this. Priests are still in there in the middle. Everybody gets through. They do the stones the priests are probably shaken by that point, right? Like holding the Ark of the Covenant. And then they move the rest of the way through. And it says right when they stepped out that the river came rushing back in and that there was, there was that great flood stage yet again. And all the people moved into the promised land for the first time. For the first time. And, and, and so God says there's promises. And here you're about to move in to those promises. And so they move into the promises, they move into the plains that they end up calling Gilgal. It's the plains that are right in front of a place called Jericho. A place called Jericho. See, this is where it takes boldness, though. So I believe there's too many people today in the church that, that they've stopped in the river. They've, they've gotten across, and then they're good. They stopped. But there's more. There is more. Think about this. The first thing they walked into was a wall. They walk into a wall, a literal, huge, formidable wall of Jericho. They're in, they're in the promised land. They're finally getting a chance to like eat the, the milk and honey that they had been promised. It's there. It's true. It's in this land. And they could have easily just stayed there. They could have easily just stayed in that place. And sometimes we do the same thing in, in our spiritual life, right? We just kind of coast. We're in the plains of Gilgal. God delivered me from something and and I'm good, but, but God said there, there's more. There's more to do. You have to possess the promises that I have for you. Possess the promises that I have for you. I know that happens to me sometimes, and I know that happens to you, where you're like, I put my faith in God, and, and he's been incredible and awesome, and then, bam, you hit a wall in life. You get a bad diagnosis. Your relationship falls apart. Finances 
don't make any sense. All of a sudden you get hit with something and you're like, God, I was following after you. Like, like, you know, you told me there was all these promises on this other side and bam, I hit a wall. What is up with that? And, and we can feel that way. Sometimes we hit some walls. Let's be honest. I do all the time. <laughs> that's just how, that's just how it seems to work. But see, I don't think every wall means that we turn and we run the other way. I think sometimes we're called to possess some territory. You see, I want to move over to Joshua chapter 5, and we'll move down to verse 13. This is where we're going to kind of camp out here for a minute. It says, Now when Joshua was, was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for your enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? Listen to the message. Commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. See, last week I made the statement that boldness is not puffing up our chest in pride or arrogance. And I can just imagine Joshua moves over into this promised land and there's a valley. There's the valley of Gilgal and they're finally like eating the fruit. And everybody's probably pointing at Joshua like, man, he led us into the promised land. Did you see that? How amazing was that? And I can just imagine maybe just a little bit of... Pride, boldness, that's not biblical boldness. Arrogance might, might begin to well up. And the reason why I say that is because he walks up to this guy, you know, with his fist clenched and ready to, ready to fight and say, are you for them or are you for us? Are you for them or are you for us? See, see, he needed to encounter God's holiness. He needed to encounter his presence. And, and I'm not saying when you walk into a circumstance, you just start butting your chest up against the wall. You still need the presence of God. You still need the presence of God. See, I think he saw the Lord before he saw the size of the walls. It's God's way of saying, look at me. Look at me. See, we allow our circumstances to get in the way of us and God. But we need to allow God to get in the way of us and our circumstances. Now, I, I like playing golf. I don't know who else here likes playing golf, but tell you what I love stepping up to the tee box on a nice par three and you know I see the green there and I see the flag stick and I pull out right the right club for the hole and and I step up to the ball and I get excited because I, I you know I see the the destination right but what what happens Ooh, there's a sand trap over there oh no there's a, there's a tree that might kind of get in the way you know, there's a hazard here. And then all of a sudden you see the water that's right in front of you. And man, if I, if I flub this thing, that is going right in the water. I don't know about Kevin gets holes in ones every time. So, but, but, but you feel that way when you, when you step up to a circumstance, all of a sudden your eyes start to go here and there. It's almost like God was saying like, no, 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 no. Look at, look at me. See, I think that Joshua was getting ready. He, he began to size up that wall and say, okay, it's about this big. I'm going to need about this many men to get a ladder, you know. And, and they begin to battle, strategize this thing. And God says, no, 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 look at me. See, Joshua just fall, his, falls down flat on his face and he worships. And see, I, I believe that this was the pre-incarnate Christ. The reason why I say that is we don't see anywhere else in Scripture where somebody bows down and worships an angel. 
This is the commander of the army of the Lord. See, it says in, in the last days that, that Jesus will come on a white horse. He, he's ready. And so I, I think that that's what happens in this moment. But it's interesting what he said, because, you know, I would have thought, you know, are you for them or are you for us? I would have expected the angel of the Lord to go, uh, I'm for you. You know, you're the Israelites. I told you you were going to be coming. And no, he says neither. Neither. See, the question isn't if the Lord is on our side. Are we on his side? I heard this statement from our general counsel where Pastor Aaron was this past week, and it's so good, and it's so true. We are not a political organization. We are the church. I feel like we need to be reminded about that sometimes because we try to begin to like pull sides and, 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 and the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and nobody's letting God have his say sometimes. We just real quick run and say exactly what's on our minds, right? But we're not a political organization. You see, the politics in the early church, when we talked about them, there was nobody in power that wanted them at all. There was no president that was saying like, okay to this, but not okay to that. They didn't have that opportunity, and yet they still possess the land. They still possess the land because they had boldness that came directly from the presence of God. And that's what you need in your circumstance. I love this. Abraham Lincoln said this. My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. For God is always right. We seem to look through things through our filters and through our experiences, and we forget that we got to be on God's side. We got to be on God's side. I just felt like that, that needed to be said today. And then, but then we move down to Joshua chapter 6. Uh, we'll start in verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. So he shows, he shows him Jericho. He shows him these walls. He shows him this great fortress, and he shows all this stuff, and he says, see, I have delivered. Now listen, I have delivered. That's past tense. Joshua going like, whoa, 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 no, no I think you were wrong. I th- you, meant, you meant you will, right? You, you will deliver us. And he said, no, no, I have already. See, God has already gone before us. He's already fighting battles ahead of us. And and so when he tells us to claim or possess a territory, we can move forward in boldness because we know his promises and we know what he has said. And he said, no, I've already given you that. See, it's up to you to claim it, though. It's up to you to claim it. See, many of our promises are available. We just haven't taken hold of them yet. I think sometimes we come up against the wall We don't claim the things that God has for us. So, all right, God, what's the battle strategy here? Maybe some of you know where I'm going with this. So here's what he tells them to do. Take your people. We're going to have them go up to the wall, and they're going to march around the wall. We're not going to have, like, the archers in the front or anything, or even the stone throwers, you know. We're not going to put them in the front. You know what we're going to do? We're going to put the trumpets up front. We're going to blow some trumpets. We'll take the Ark of the Covenant. You know, it's going to be great. It's going to be like this cool procession. And I can imagine Joshua going, what? I mean, if it was Joshua, you know, ready to beat his chest, he just was able to cross the Jordan River. Like, let's take our men. Let's take this place now. 
Let's do this. And, and God says, no, no, you got to do it the way that I'm telling you to do it. And so they do this. And now imagine these people, all right? So they're already fearful. Think about this. Jericho knows, they knew that the river was at flood stage. They know there's this whole nation on the other side. All of a sudden, in a moment, they're suddenly at your doorstep. And it says that they were fearful, that they already had some fear and they're concerned and they had the gates shut up tight. So then they see this army begin to approach them, right? This army comes forward, stands at the gate. I could imagine on the inside, the commander, okay, everybody get ready. They're, they're here in the front. You ready? Yeah, yeah, let's get ready. What's happening? Well, they're, they're blowing some trumpets. What? Yeah, yeah, they're blowing some trumpets. Ah, all right, well, just, just get to the front of the wall, you know? And, and then all of a sudden, they turn. And they start to walk around, walk around the place, and they're blowing these trumpets. Uh, just imagine this on the inside, though, them going like, okay, what's going on? Well, well, they're moving over this way. Well, why are they? I don't know, but, you know, the whole army just kind of like looking like, where, where, where are they now? Well, they're, they're going all the way around here. Okay. They go the whole way around. So as they go back to camp. Can you imagine the battle uh, strategy from the guy leading Jericho, right? He goes back, and he says, all right, let's look at this a second. Yeah, what should we do? I don't know. That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was strange. You know? All right, well, let's just get ready tomorrow. You know, then, then they come up, and, and the, they march forward, and they, they hit the wall. And, and again, they begin to blow the trumpets, and they begin to walk, walk around the wall. And, and so, all right, guys, you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're coming around this way. Today, though, they're like, you know what? Let's make sure they don't flank us from the back. You know, there's, there's something weird going on here. Like, make sure there's people over there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they, they make the whole way around. They go back to camp. Second day right? What should we do? I don't know. Should we throw something at him? I don't know. Kind of feel bad to hit a guy with a trumpet. So yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's, you know, and so again, they go on day three, day four, day five, day six. By that point, the army's just like watching them circle around like, here they go again, you know, but day seven, on day seven, the Lord tells them, be quiet. So this time they come up to the wall and they begin to move around. And they're like, well, I don't know, something weird is a little, something weird's going on here because they're quiet this day. Or are they still moving around? Yep, they're still moving around. They get all the way around. They get to the one side. It's like, okay, they're probably heading back to go. Oh, wait, they're going around again. And now they suddenly start going around again. Well, this is kind of concerning, right? This is weird. So they're watching them. They go around again and again, Silence. Everything quiet. They're moving all the way around, and six times that happens. Then on the seventh time, I want you to see this in Scripture. Joshua 6.20. When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed So everyone charged straight in and they took, they took the city. Weird. (laughs) Foolish, right? That was strange. And it actually says in the King James Version that the wall fell flat. They've actually done archaeology research on that and they found some of the remains of Jericho. And you know what? They found that the walls were laying down flat. Laying down flat, and they took one of the promises that, that God had for them. And, and man, that is a powerful, powerful moment. Powerful moment. 
See, I think that that's really strange, right? When they come up to a wall and, and wouldn't you just attack, right? Just let's get this over with. Let's attack. But God has other things in store for you. And see, but here's what I see, though, that the bold, the bold praise. Praise is one of our greatest weapons. This isn't the fourth P for the record. This is part of possessing because what I'm talking about is praising in the face of adversity, Praising when you hit a wall. When you hit a wall. See, it's not just about things remembered. You know, sometimes we praise God for everything that he's already done. You know, it's like the memorial stones. Like, and that's good. We praise God for what he's already done. We do. Praise God for today. And God, I praise you for who you are. This is, this is who you say I am. And this, this is who you are. But sometimes we have to praise prophetically. Sometimes we have to move forward into what God has for us, and we shout down those walls. That's when you go into the hospital. You get a diagnosis. You're laying there in bed, and you suddenly reach up your hand and begin to praise the Lord. And everybody else goes, what is going on right here? That's bold praise. See, I remember me and my wife, there was a song called Catch the Wind in this last year. It was just one of those declarative songs. Like that was just, it was one of those, I'm going to take possession of what God has already promised me. What God has already promised me. See, all of creation was built to worship him. All of creation was built. So if you tell me, I'm not a big fan of music. I don't like that kind of song. You were still built to worship him. You were built to bring him praise. And you know what? Satan was also built to bring praise. Say, what? Hold up. What? Yeah. He was one of God's angels. And actually, some scholars believe, and I believe this as well, that, that Lucifer was created as a, as a worship angel. Like he was, he was the, the lead of the worship team up in heaven. It says that his being was literally made with like tambourines and cymbals. Like he was built for worship. And you know what? Man, it must get in his head when he hears us raise our hands and praise God in worship and praise the name of Jesus. And Satan starts shaking in his boots. I have people that have come in and said to me, you know, I don't like to. I don't, I don't like to praise, you know, I don't, I don't really like to do that. Or, or, you know, the person next to me isn't praising God and, you know, they're not lifting their hands and I said, okay, so you praise him. You know, we don't need to look at that. You know, my wife has said like, that's, that's why she moved to the front row. You know, she doesn't have to sit up here. It's not like a pastor thing. Like that's, that's not what happens. She, she chooses to come to the front row and lift her hands and praise because she doesn't want to look at the back of somebody's head. And you know what? We've had people that come to the altar during praise. That's okay. That's all right. That's what it's here for. That's what we come forward. We worship God with intensity. Sometimes you need to praise your way through those walls. And recognize that the the, the bold recognize that praise is so vitally important. You know, praise is the weapon that we have. Could you imagine? So Satan, right? He tempts Jesus. What does he say? I want you to bow down to me. I want you to worship me. And so when we stand up in praise, when we're in that hospital bed, when we got no idea how the finances are going to work, suddenly when we start a, a shout of prophetic praise, suddenly we shout down those walls and your finances will come into alignment. Your diagnosis will flee from the sound of Jesus' name. 
And sometimes we just need to, to praise our God because our problems are minimized and our, and our God is maximized. Our problems are minimized and our God is maximized. It's like him coming all of a sudden to the front. You know, like I see the walls, but all of a sudden he's like right in front of me now, right? It's like, yes, there he is. I can see him. That's right. That's right. You know, I had a situation like that uh, when my wife was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. She hadn't had her surgery yet. She hadn't yet had her surgery. And so she was about to go in. But as we were, as we were praying, God revealed two things to me. The first one was, this would not end like it did for your mom. See, my mom passed away from lung cancer, and it was only two weeks. Two weeks we found out she had lung cancer. So my only experience is that, right? That, that's my only experience of, of this cancer thing. And so when I find out she has cancer, I find out she's about to go and get a double mastectomy. And I'm scared. I'm not going to put it simple to you. I'm bluntly being said, I'm scared. I know she's going in for surgery, but there's another promise. And, and God really imparted this in both of our hearts as we prayed. And I know people were praying for healing and people were praying for immediate uh, immediately for God to take it away. And I, and I was praying the same thing. You know, I believe that God can heal. If it's his will, he, he will heal her. He can do that. But God revealed to us something. He revealed to us that she would get through this, but not without a process. It's one of those things. God revealed that to us early in, in the situation that we were in. And so I remember going to district council. It's where the, uh, the pastors from Pennsylvania and Delaware, we all come together and we all uh, seek God together. And, and, and the first thing I do is I walk in and, and uh, my, my good friend Tom Reese is standing there. He directs the church planning for the district and he knew what was going on with Britt. Britt was about to go in for her double mastectomy and I'm scared. And so he gave me a big hug. He said, man, Chris, we are praying for Britt. And I started sobbing. I started sobbing into his shoulder, and he prayed this powerful, bold prayer for me. And, and, and so I, I turn around, and God just, you know, I could just feel that God was in that moment. I turn around, I raise my hands because the worship was on. And as I raise my hands, that song, Tremble, we just sang, came on. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Your name is a light that the shadows can't deny. And I, I began, and you, you saw, I, I have a microphone in front of my face to talk, but not to sing. But, so trust me, I was there, I was singing out. I was like, your name, you know, like all over the place. But I was screaming it out. It was, like, it was like that declarative moment. It was the moment that I needed to praise the Lord. And I remember that, like just, just weeping as I'm praising God for, for knowing that he can do what, what he can do. I know he can do this. I know he can do this. And sure enough, my wife sits here today. He's been good on his promises. But let me tell you what, I hit a wall. I hit a wall. I said, God, I feel like I'm doing what you're calling me to do. I feel like you're telling me something and, and I'm trying to follow after you. Why would this happen now? He's like, there's territory. There's territory to possess through this wall. And maybe it's reaching one of you. But even after that, this past year, I went back to district council and I walk in the back and we have a soak worship, we called it, where all the pastors just come together. We just worship God and it's powerful. It's so awesome. The first person I see when I walk in there, Tom Reese. 
And I just gave him a hug, and he asked how Britt was doing. I shared just the awesome things that God has done in the past year, and I'm just holding on to him, and we're like just praising God and just say, oh, that is so awesome. I said, yeah. And do you remember last year? I said, do you remember that song Tremble came on? I said, do you remember how powerful that was? He said, yeah, that was, man, I just felt something break in that moment. I said, man, praise God. He is so awesome. I turn around, I lift my hands. No sooner do I do that, the band tremble. Tremble. Jesus, Jesus. You may, it's, like, it's like he took his fingerprint on my life and goes, see, I told you so, Chris. I told you. And man, I, you asked Pastor Aaron, I sat in my seat. I weeped uncontrollably. I mean, they didn't have enough tissues down the line for me to pick up on my snot. You know, I, I just, I was so in to what God was doing. And sometimes you just got to be bold and you praise down the enemy. You praise him down. I don't encourage you. I don't encourage you. When you praise, lift your hands in worship. It's okay. When you praise, come down to the altar. That's okay. Just be bold. See the bold praise God even in the middle of those circumstances. But I will give you the fourth P here. And it's the, the last one on purpose because it's, to me, the hardest one. Especially now. This is the last P. Proclaim talked about boldness, right? We have boldness and we can have bold prayers. We talked about posture. We can stand firm, you know, stand firm in what God has for us. And you know what? We can possess the promises that God has for us, but it takes steps of faith. It it means the offensive. It means moving forward into what God has for you and doing, doing it, even though it doesn't make sense sometimes, stepping out in faith and doing it. You know, Joshua 1.9 is, is a great verse where people love to quote. You know, that says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you forever, wherever you go. That's a great verse. I love that verse. But we rarely quote the ones before it. It says this. Be strong and very courageous in verse 7. Be careful to obey all the law my, Mo- my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. See, the right to possess the promised land was dependent on obedience to and proclamation of God's covenant with the people. A proclamation is a public or official announcement of an important matter. See, after, after in verse uh, chapter 8, after they take over Jericho, then they have a mishap where they didn't listen to the Lord But then they do. They take over another city called Ai, and God does it again in an incredible, miraculous way. It's incredible what God does. But in chapter 8, verse 34, we see what what Joshua did after this circumstance. It says, Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses. Just as it is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. 
See, he just stood up and he proclaimed. You know the name Joshua means the Lord saves. It's Yeshua in Hebrew, which actually is where we get the name for Jesus. Jesus actually translates back to Joshua. And so Joshua's name is literally a message. It says, you need God to be saved. He is the message. He said, you need God to be saved. That's what you need. See, he, he continued to point to God, his promises, and his name. He continued to proclaim what God has done. But let's be honest, you know, Chris, you know, I can pray, I get it, I can posture myself, right? You know, yeah, possessing territory, that's kind of hard, but actually opening out my mouth and saying the name of Jesus, I mean, look at the culture we live in. It's dangerous, Chris. Like, you should not be doing that. Like, you know, you, you can't be, you know, that's not what I see in Scripture. You know what the early church did? They proclaimed. They proclaimed. See, Joshua, even towards the end of his book, as he's like basically retiring and, and heading out, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve. Constantly he was saying, This is our God. This is what he says. This is what he's doing. And then after that he says, As for me and my family... We're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. He stands his ground and says, I'm going to continue to proclaim this. I'm going to continue to proclaim the name. See, the bold never stop proclaiming. And I think some of us today have stopped proclaiming the name to anybody. I get it that it's scary, but I see in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, the disciples, they just got flogged, which means they got whipped to a pulp. It says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped, never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They never stopped. See, the culture was totally against them. Everything was against them, and they never stopped proclaiming that Jesus is who he says that he is. See, this is the most important matter ever. Remember, I told you that a proclamation is an official or a public announcement about an important matter. This is the most important announcement you can make. It's a matter of souls. It's eternity. This is the most important proclamation that you can make in your life. See, the church that Jesus said he's building, it's not brick and mortar. You know, we're going to have a, a building project here, which is awesome. You know, it's so cool that, that we can have a building project and you know, give the church a, a facelift. But ultimately, the church building will crumble. It will fall. It'll keep getting destroyed. But souls. See, the possession of territory nowadays for us is lost souls. See, if, if, we're, not, if not, we're not reaching anybody, or we're not touching anybody with the gospel of Jesus, then we've missed the boat. We miss, we miss the picture. You see, the Great Commission says that we, we go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See, disciples make disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? <laughs> That's just how it works. That's how God has continued to work from the beginning of the church. How'd they do that? They proclaimed his name. They proclaimed that name. I have to ask an honest question. You can think about this and however you want to think about it. Honestly, are we seeing the results the early church saw? 
Are we seeing the results the early church saw? I mean, do we actually see what we see in the early church? I, I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> I'll let you decide in your heart. Why is that? I mean, have, have we been proclaiming the name of Jesus? See, we need to be more afraid of missed opportunities than making mistakes. I want to say that again for somebody because I, I feel somebody needs to hear it. We need to be more afraid of missed opportunities than making mistakes. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. There's going to be difficult seasons where you don't say the right thing. You don't do the right thing. And, and we need to be more, more afraid of not reaching lost souls. That people are living eternity in hell. And not in heaven. And that is of the utmost importance. And it led the, the beginning of the church to some dangerous territory. See, I'm not talking about standing on a street corner and grabbing a sign and start, you know, bopping people on the head like, you need saved, you need saved, you need saved, you know? Yeah, don't do that, okay? See, no, like I said last week, no one has ever been bullied into the kingdom of God. When proclaiming the bold are willing, not weird. They're loving, not loud. They're compassionate, not combative. They're hopeful and not hurtful. But also, I hate to say this, they're prepared for persecution. I'm going to show you a verse of scripture, which is one verse that I really wish was not in the Bible. <laughs> but we're going to put it up here. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Darn it. <laughs> yeah, that is tough, right? See, persecution was the push that led the apostles out of Jerusalem and led them to proclaim the word all over the world. I want to read something to you, and I got this from Mark Batterson in his book, All In, because he did the background research, so, you know, I don't need to collect all the information altogether, but this is, it was beautiful the way that he put it. In AD 44, King Herod ordered that James the Greater be thrust through with a sword. He was the first of the apostles to be martyred, so this is only like a decade after Jesus, okay? And so the bloodbath began. Luke was hung by the neck from an olive tree in Greece. Doubting Thomas was pierced with a pine spear, tortured with red-hot plates, and burned alive in India. In AD 54, the proconsul of Heropolis had Philip tortured and crucified. Listen to this. Because his wife converted to Christianity while listening to Paul, Philip preach, he got crucified because the guy's wife converted to Christianity. Listen, Philip continued to preach while he was on the cross. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flogged to death in Armenia. James the Just, he was thrown off the southeast pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. After surviving the 100-foot fall, he was clubbed to death by a mob. Simon the Zealot was crucified by a governor of Syria in AD 74. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks in Mesopotamia. Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, was stoned to death, then beheaded. So this is the guy that replaced Judas... He died. And Peter was crucified upside down at his own request. John the Beloved is the only disciple that died of natural causes. But that's only because he survived his own execution. When a cauldron of boiling oil could not kill John, 
The emperor exiled him to the island of Patmos, where he lived until his death in A.D. 95. That's rough. See, they continued where we probably would have stopped. See, Philip's on the cross realizing that souls are at stake. He was still on the cross preaching. Till the day that they died, they were still. Even John, he got a revelation while he was at Patmos. It's what we call the book of Revelation. it's, It's incredible. To me, this example is one of the things that most validates the gospel. That Jesus is who he said that he is. People don't go to death for something that they don't believe in. It's just, not, it's just not true. The whole early church felt that it was so important to proclaim the name of Jesus that they were willing to die for it. They didn't have to die for this. Think about that. They could have at any moment said, okay, enough, enough's enough, right? I'm comfortable now. I have a, a comfortable middle-class living. We have a house now, and, 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 and this, is, this, is, this is comfort, right? We live in a world of comfort. I, I can put on a video right now and watch a movie and sit here and turn the other way and not even pay attention to you guys. I can do that in a moment. See, but they, they knew that, that I don't have time for that. I, I have to proclaim the name. There, there are souls that are at stake, that, that the bold proclaim That name, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear that people need to hear that name. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. People need to hear the message. And the early church felt that it was so important and of utmost importance that this was what they gave their lives to. This wasn't just one person, okay? This wasn't just two people. This wasn't even just 12 people. This was the entire early church. The first person stoned to death was Stephen. He wasn't even one of the apostles. See, they knew something that we need to catch hold of here today, that Jesus is the only way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life, and and people are willing to die for that. See, but I I praise God that that somebody proclaimed his name to me. And he's sitting back here in the fourth row, Earl Winter. I praise God that he told me all about his God that he knew. See, when me and Britt first met, the first time I met them, she invited me to have dinner with the family. I thought that meant her mom and her dad. No, the whole family was there. You know, talk about scary. You walk in, there's like 12 people, you know? So, and I see this happen, and so I eat dinner with them, and then Earl says to me, hey, hey, Britt, I'm going to take Chris for a walk. And I look at Britt, like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't let him do that, you know. So he t- she's like, sure, you know. She, he takes me out. He takes me for a walk through the woods to the edge of a cliff. <laughs> Thought for sure he was going to shoot me or push me or something, right? So he takes me out to the edge of this cliff, and he says something to me. He says, hey, Chris, if you're going to date my daughter, I just need you to know what, what we believe. I said, oh, okay. And he began to tell me, Miracle after miracle, things that God has done in their lives. And tell me about Jesus and how incredible he is. And the whole time, I mean, it felt like four hours. I don't know, it was probably, 
It was four hours? <laughs> yeah, that was a long hike. <laughs> no, but, uh, but he began to just tell me about Jesus. And I remember thinking, he acts like he knows him. He acts like he actually talks with God and that he listens. He acts like God can still do signs and wonders and do incredible things in his life. And now to know him even more, I see it evidenced in their life. I thank God that somebody was willing to stand up and proclaim that to me. (laughs) Did you think about pushing me a couple times? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Knowing what he knows now about me, right? No. (laughs) But, uh. But I'm just so grateful that somebody would do that. I remember leaving that moment and saying to my wife, now she was my girlfriend, but I remember leaving and her saying, so how'd it go? I said, well, he cried a lot. (laughs) And I said, and he, he told me about God. And she goes, yeah, he'll do that. And I said, does he really believe all that? She goes, oh, yeah. And I said, do you? She goes, you know, sometimes, Chris, I, I don't know. You know, that stirred me to seek out my faith. And maybe some of you are here today and you're thinking about the same thing. You're wondering, is this real? Is this, is this Jesus that we've been singing about? Is, is this real? And I can honestly say, yes, he is. It's only by the grace of God that I can stand here before you. I should have died long ago, I'll tell you that. See, but today, it's just like Joshua said, choose today. Choose today. You have an opportunity here in this moment. But I want to do something here together. And uh, I want us to proclaim Jesus together. Now, we're going to do this in a, in a special way. We're going to actually take communion together. See, and the reason why I say that, we're going to put this verse up on the screen. And the verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. Did you hear that? When we drink this, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we actually proclaim his death. We're actually proclaiming it until he comes again. So you, the, the men can come forward and begin to serve you. And I just want to encourage you today that this is a special moment. This is a special moment when we do this together. See, the Bible, two verses later, says that we are to examine ourselves before we do this. It says that we are to examine before we eat of this bread and drink of this cup. And I want to encourage you, even now, as they're passing this out, begin to examine your own heart. God, it says examine themselves. You don't need to look to the right or to the left and think about what somebody else is doing. This is about you and God. When I say this, this is about me and God. I examine my heart before I take of this. And I, and I say, where am I in my relationship with Jesus? Where am I in relationship to Jesus? So I encourage you here. We're going we're gonna to take this communion together. And this is bold. I'll tell you why this is so bold. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus actually said, unless you 
eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can't have eternal life. (laughs) Sounds like an episode of Shark Week, right? All the people said, "This this is... hard to this is hard to take this is this is a hard teaching this is difficult for us to handle and the sad sad scripture verse that says at this time many of his disciples left him there's a lot of people that left him at that moment and so Jesus he turns to these individuals that I just said died for their faith he turns to these individuals and he says are you going to desert me too Here's what they say, Lord, where else do we go? You alone have the words to eternal life. You are the Holy One. And I would ask you that today. Can you say, Lord, where else do I go? You are the Holy One. Don't turn away from him today. Choose this day who you will serve. So I pray, Lord, as we proclaim this together, we have an opportunity to do it together. This is a proclamation. This is saying that, that I receive you, Jesus. That we consider these, these are just symbols, okay? This isn't the actual body or the actual blood, but these are symbols, and these represent to our hearts our accepting of everything he did on the cross. So I'd encourage you today, I, I'm going to pray for us as, as we do this. But examine your own heart. Father God, we just thank you so much that, Lord, like David said, that we can come to you and say, create in me a pure heart. Clean hands, Lord. God, wherever we're at in our, in our relationship with you, Lord, we're going to receive you in this moment as our Lord as the one who has the words of everlasting life, you are the Holy One, Jesus. So God, we can, because of that, we can pray bold prayers and you hear us. Because of that, Lord, we can posture ourselves and stand firm against the tactics of the enemy. And God, we can possess the promises and the territory that you have promised us, every spiritual blessing that is in you, Jesus. And God, we can proclaim your name. The name above all names, Jesus. Jesus. Let's all take the bread together this morning.